Amen. Amen. Sometimes we get in a rush and uh, we forget just to take a moment and, and yield to them. Amen. You know, I, I learned one time Mike and Tracy were with us. We went down to Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, we were invited to go. Supernatural door, women's facility. It was a, it was a, it was a women's facility for addiction uh, in the old Birmingham hospital. Four or five hundred ladies, patients in there. And they had a church service in there. You know, it's like a year program. And uh, they, they didn't have a worship team, but they just had this right here. They just had a sound, a track, or YouTube video that they played for their worship on Sunday morning. And uh, when we went there, you know, these women are so broken. They're, they're so broken. And, you know, the Lord dwells in that. He, he dwells with the brokenhearted. And a lot of these girls were coming out of heroin, selling their bodies. I mean, just completely, completely gone. But they were trying, and man, you could just feel the Lord. And I remember that Sunday morning, there was a makeshift, kind of, well, there's a step on the altar. It was as long as ours right here, just a step up. And it was just old wood painted. And the women would flock, did they not? They would flock to that altar during the DVD or during the soundtrack. Boombox, they had an actual boombox CD playing. The power of God was in there so strong. They were laid out on the altar. And when they got up, I, it just floored me because I looked down and I, I said, Mike, come here. And all you could see is the whole altar was drenched with tears and snot. God doesn't need all the fancy stuff, does he? <laughs> he, just needs a, he just needs a heart that is willing and broken and, and ready. Amen? Amen. So that was just awesome. Um, hey, did you guys catch that in that video? And that song that we did, did you catch the shift, right? There was a shift in that moment, wasn't there? Where was the shift at? Who can kind of pinpoint it, you, you know? Megan? When she started going spontaneous, so they were singing the song, Oh, Praise the Name, but then there was this like law, and they just kind of stepped into a whole other place. And there's a few things that happened. Of course, the prophetic song that came out was on and on and on. You go on and on and on. And that was just straight from her heart, you know. So that was such a picture of the corporate, but then bringing us into the personal. So she just got engaged with the Lord just in that personal level. But then the other thing that happened, and I don't know if you caught it, but there was a sound. There was a sound. And the sound shifted. And it was right after that moment. Her friends, they all started catching the song, and the whole, the instruments, the band caught it. And then they began to change the sound. I mean, it was unbelievable. And that's what that last part, you could just hear the whole sound change. And uh, I, I just felt like that was beautiful to kind of really encapture David's tabernacle. Had a tribal sound to it, huh? There, there was such a victorious sound. I, I, one of, there's many reasons why it's probably really powerful. One of the ones I think also, again, how it's connected to David's tabernacle too, and why it was so powerful, is because it was an old hymn. That's an old hymn. Old hymn. But it was sung to the sound of a new sound. Whew. And that's why you can't dismiss the old and just have the new. Or just have the old and not the new. There's a synergy that happens when you honor the past. Come on. And you bring that into the now. And so that was something that really stirred me. So that's back into David's Tabernacle. Okay. So welcome tonight. Class three. Are we ready to learn? Amen. I am too. 
Uh, who remembers last week? Last week, and uh, anybody enjoyed last week's class? Amen. Is there one or, one or two things that stood out to somebody last week that they can remember that maybe the Lord spoke to them about? If you just take a couple seconds to review. Anybody? Pastor Tom. I was not here last week, but I was reading through the outline. And what happened tonight, and I think is reflected here, you had patterns of heaven worship gathering. One of the bullets last week was God's throne centralized. If you'll notice, there's worship songs and, and the, the lyrics that are, they're people's focused. But the old hymns, when we start singing the history and we start singing praise and worship to the throne, the one who was in the tomb, the mm. one who came, there's yes. something about throne centralized worship that's praise and worship to him that just seems to gather the presence of the angel that has come. And so that's what happened tonight. They were singing that song, and it's all heaven-focused yeah. as opposed to let me meet the needs of the people right now. There, those right. Are, there's a time for that. But I find that where the shift really happens is when we are focused on Come him. on. Man, that's awesome. Join along with the angels. Yes. Um, okay, so one of my uh, highlights from last week that I, I, I remembered is we had that whole uh, – Members talked about the ministry of the dance and the importance of the African-American culture in America and how they birthed spontaneous worship. And then we had that whole repentance deal. Sister Renee, come on. That was awesome. How about, I'm going to share a little thing. Uh, Josh Hildebrand later that night actually shared a clip on my Facebook of another minister who's actually an African-American guy who actually we met. I, we spoke at a conference together with a friend of ours, Faith, and uh, Matthew Stevenson. And that same night, or that, that same uh, night, Josh posted last Wednesday, and on the clip, they were in a meeting, and he was in a predominantly black church speaking on racial reconciliation, called a white girl, a white woman that worked for the church, their, their church, called her up and repented as a black man on behalf to white women. Ha! That was last week, Wednesday. Is that crazy? Come on, Jesus, man. That's, that's so restoration of unity. Remember, that's what restoration of unity. So David's tabernacle. Remember, our starting scripture, our foundation was Amos 9-11. In the last days, I will rebuild the fallen tent of David. In the last days, I will rebuild the fallen tent of David. I will repair its breaches and heal its ruins. And that is the prophetic connection and promise that we have that God is building that. And that is so deep, and we've been trying to chip away the layers because that is a restoration of the priesthood. Remember? Restoration of the priesthood. It's a rep, res, restoration of presence-centered church and, and ministry and movements. It it's all becomes presence-centered. It's, it's a restoration of purity, a call back to holiness and being set apart. And so there's so many levels of restoration of intercession. We talked about that in the first class, right? Intercession to the land, intercession to the people. So David's tabernacle really is a restoring movement that, that literally builds a framework of intercession, of, of, of just preparation. Why? So the presence of God can rest. Because, you know, you need a strong foundation to hold something heavy, don't you? Isn't that right? So I want to get into that a little bit tonight. So let's go back kind of where we left off. Revelation 4.1, go there, and then hold that and go to 1 Chronicles 25 verse 1. We're going to get in the Word a little bit. Is that good? Is that good? Mm -hmm. Come on. Revelation 4 and uh, 1 Chronicles 25, 1. We're going to start Revelation 4 first. Remember, this is throne room worship. This is where John sees 
the, the paradigm, and we connected this last week. Remember the infrastructure of David's tabernacle? Who remembers the infrastructure? How many worship leaders did David have that were the chiefs? How many did they remember that were the four directors, the chief musicians? Close. Uh, there's a couple numbers. So let me back up. So remember, David had 24 worship teams. And then how many chief musicians directing them? Four. Four. Remember that? He had 24 worship teams, 12 members each. That corresponded with each hour of the day. That's how we know it's day and night, night and day. A million dollars a day was the salary that he funded 4,288 musicians. I will say that again. Pastor Tom was here last week. Just that we, we talked about this in the, in the get, uh, that would have been a good board layout, wouldn't it, with the financials? We're going to invest a million dollars a day in the people that are just going to give thanks to Jesus all day and every day. And they're not going to do anything else. Wow. That's what he, David did. And so now you had four uh, or 24 worship teams, and then you had four chief musicians, He-Man, Jadothan, Asaph, and, of course, David. And those four chief musicians directed the 24 worship teams. The ark was central. The presence is central. And remember what we do? We connected that infrastructure. Where did David get that pattern in the Old Testament? We believe David Fritch really brought this out in his book and thrown excellent revelation. And he believes that it was connected to the revelation for a throne room. And that, that David caught a revelation of what worship was like around the throne. Because there are 24 elders around the throne. And then there are four living creatures directing the worship in heaven. Four living creatures directing the worship, the 24 elders in heaven. And of course, we know God is central on the throne. Going back to the living creatures, I just want to pick this one verse. I didn't hit this last week, so we'll pick up here. Uh, Revelation 4. Verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings. When you, when you read that word, you got to read it like that. Rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. And these are the seven spirits of God. Also before, before the throne was the, looked like the sea of glass that was, that was crystal. In the center around the throne, here we go, were four living creatures. This is what I want us to hit. They were covered with... Wow, what a sight that was. You just got to just kind of break that down, you know. Even if we take it literal or metaphorical, let's just talk about they are four living creatures. They have the face of an eagle, an ox, a man, and a lion. They have six wings, and they have eyes in the front and in the back of their body all around. Now, isn't that wild? They have eyes all around them. That's what it says. Now, look, they were covered with eyes front and back. They, the first was a, a living creature like a lion, the second an ox, the third like a man, the fourth like an eagle. Again, here's the last part. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even underneath the wings. And here's my favorite part, day and night. Come on. Night and day, they never stop singing, holy, holy. But I just want to see this uh, kind of picking up is, why are they covered with eyes? You know, what's, what's the Bible saying? 
what's the revelation in that? And I'm sure you could probably dissect it a few ways. But one of the prevailing thoughts is that what does this represent? Very simple. It represents prophetic. It represents the prophetic sight. It represents eyes are, is what we see by. And you know that when you tap into this worship, you have to see. You, you have to see. You have to have an ability to see the throne and to see the kingdom. See, a lot of people come into worship and they never go there. They're just too surrounded, right? We get too distracted. Things going on and we just can't never lock in. And, you know, when we do the tent, you may even know we do the Jesus tent and day and night worship in cities. I'll notice something, you know, a lot of folks that would come to the tent, when, especially when the power, the presence be going strong in worship, folks would just kind of lay at the edge and they could never, they could never go up front. And then those that were up front usually were just on the carpet laying down or just, just engaged. You could tell they were in heaven. But there were some that just, they just couldn't, they just couldn't make that journey. And they were just more doing some investigating, you know. And just kind of like from the outer, outer court, they were just looking in. But I tell you guys, there is something when we get the right perspective when we approach worship. Because that's what these eyes are about. It's having the right perspective. It's having the right vision and eyesight to see. These living creatures, they saw and they were covered with eyes. So now go back to 1 Chronicles 25.1. Let's connect that back to David's tabernacle. In verse Chronicles 25, verse 1, David catching this revelation, catching the significance of prophecy in the prophetic. This is what he says. David, together with the commanders of the army, set apart. Listen to that word. Set apart some of the sons. Now remember, there, there's a whole collection of Levites. But not all the Levites were selected here. Some of the sons of Asaph, Heman, and Jadothan, here it is, for the ministry of prophesying accompanied by harps, lyres, and cymbals. And here's the list of the men who performed those services. And so there it is, the ministry of prophesying. So these four worship leaders were leaders who could prophesy, but not only them, those underneath them could also prophesy. They could also prophesy not only with their words, but they could also prophesy with their instruments. Now come on back to the video. That's what happened. She began to prophesy to the Lord through her words. But then the musicians came under what God was doing, and their instruments began to prophesy without words. Come on. Woo! When you, when you come into a collective environment like that, woo, it's hard not to get excited. It's hard not to get moved. Or what if it looked like that all the time, every time we got together? I think that's where we're heading. So there's a, there's a ministry of prophesying, and David caught this, right? So let's talk about this a little bit. First, First Corinthians 14.3 says this. Now, we know that the gift of prophecy, and this, this is a whole gamut. But uh, we don't have time to get into it. I would love it, but we don't have time to get into that. But in four, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul talks about prophecy. And this word, the ministry of prophesying that David set these guys to do, it's, it's the same word that's connected to the Greek word here. Paul says in 14.1, 1 Corinthians, follow the way of love. Come on. 
follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Now, why does Paul kind of elevate the gift of prophecy above all the other gifts? Listen to what he says. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. He's saying it's good, it's profitable, but, but listen, everyone who prophesies, everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their three things, strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. I'm going to say that again. But everyone, do you notice the word everyone? That means everyone means everyone. That means everyone. That means anybody who believes in Jesus, anybody who hears the Lord, follows the Lord, has access to be able to prophesy just like this. And Paul is saying, for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Those three things. I want to highlight those three things and talk about those for a few minutes. Those three things are the three natures of prophecy. Prophesy to strengthen Prophesy to encourage and prophesy to comfort. Let's talk about this strengthening. This word strengthening in the Greek is a okiodomi. I think I'm saying that right. Okiodomi. And it literally means to edify. Now, how many have heard of the word edify? Here's the meaning of it. It's simple. It's the act of building. It's the act of building. So what's the imagery there? I think of building a home, right? We've got a builder right here. When you build a home, what's one of the most important things when you're building a home, Mike? Foundation. So, of course, there's a lot of things you can go with. I thought about it. Building a home, you definitely need a foundation. Inside the foundation, you need some walls, right? You don't want to let everybody in. So you've got to have some walls, and then you need a roof and a ceiling, Right? Those are, to me, there's some of the three basic things for that structure, foundation, walls, and ceilings. It's like building a house. And so that's what this word means. So what, what's going on? What's Paul saying? Listen, when you begin to prophesy, listen now, in the way of love, because if love is not present, then that prophecy is nothing. Has anybody got a prophecy and there wasn't no love in it? And we need to be mature to be able to pan that out, don't we? And not believe every prophetic word that comes just because it's a prophetic word. we got to be able to judge and test it. Not be suspicious, but we have to be mature in that way. But Paul's saying, listen, when prophecy is out of the place of love, it's going to do these three things naturally. It's going to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. So I, I think of that. I, I, think of, uh, I think of the foundation. You know, and so what does that look like? So when you, let's say you're in connection with somebody and God begins to move on you and you just begin to speak life into them and you begin to prophesy to them. And, and what happens is there's a strengthening. There's a strengthening and a foundation is inserted. You know, th- th- there has to be a foundation inserted because the foundation is what's going to hold the weight. Come on, man. The foundation was going to hold the weight. Connect this back to David, who is gathering worshipers around the ark, and they're prophesying to the Lord. So what are they doing? They're building a foundation for the entire nation. 
God knows. They're building a foundation because they're prophesying to the Lord. They're strengthening God in that prophecy and in the ministry to the Lord. And even though it just looks like it's nothing's really happening because it's just them and them, the reality is the environment is benefiting because now a foundation is getting laid in the people of God. And you need a foundation. A lot of people say, well, i got a foundation. I know you don't. I know you don't because you're falling over here, you're falling over there, you're kind of this way and that way and every which way. Man, I thank God. I thank God when he led me. I went to this rehab center, and after coming clean and going through the program, they offered a class, a foundational class through Derek Prince. I'll never forget. I took it. It was optional. I took that thing, and we had a curriculum and a Bible, and it was 13 weeks. And I mean, it was memorizing Scripture, but not just that. It was learning things. And I've learned. I thought that was everybody did that, but coming through my life, I realized not everybody does that. Not everybody has that kind of foundation. And it was simple. And I want to encourage you here. I don't know what your foundation looks like, but maybe this can help. Here's how it helped me. So one of the exercises I remember is, you know, the Bible, you know, there's a lot in the Bible, but they pulled key passages and key scriptures that really worked to the building of my faith. And we were memorizing those. We were tested on those. We had to eat those scriptures in. And I can tell you right now, I, 14 years later, I still remember them. I know it. And it's not just because I have a good memory or the Lord's blessed me with a memory. It's in my spirit. It's in my soul. And the Lord built a foundation. Come on. So when we prophesy like that, it begins to build a foundation. Now, the walls are important because they keep bad things out, right? They're going to keep things out. So when you prophesy in love like that and encouraging people, if you're in that situation, you know what's happening? Is you're encouraging them to have discernment, my God, to keep out some of the stuff that was going to come in any other way. Do you follow me? The ceiling, what is that? That's alignment. That's protection. It's a covering. It does the same thing. So what is the ultimate purpose of building a house? <coughs> Someone's got to move in. Somebody has to move into the house. When the, when the builders build a new house, they're building it not for them. They're building it for somebody to Occupy. So when you prophesy like this out of the place of love, first to the Lord, and then as he uses you to one another, you're building a home for God to come and dwell in that individual's life. You're building an infrastructure of invisible realities like faith, mercy, forgiveness, and grace for God to come and occupy that home. Because you heard me say this a million times, I'm going to say it again. God needs an environment to move in. If an environment is not created for him to move in, he's not going to come. He's not going to dwell. He's not going to move. So prophecy is one of those ways that we can see that happening. So it's to strengthen us as we strengthen the Lord. Second thing, right, is there's prophecy to encourage. I love this. Encourage. What an underestimated weapon in the kingdom. The word is uh, in the Greek, parakalis. Got that right? Parakalesis. Parakalesis. If anybody knows a little bit of Greek study here, what is that sound close to? 
the paraclete, the Holy Spirit out of John 14, which is the counselor or the advocate, right? So prophesy to encourage. So encourage literally means pericles. It means to exhort. Now, I got really excited when I, when, I, when I read this and the Lord downloaded it. So the word paraclete, we know, is used term for the Holy Spirit as counselor, advocate. But paraclesis, as it's used here, and as it was used, I believe, in David's day, in the rebuilding of David's tabernacle, it is the meaning to call close. Listen to this. The meaning is actually to call close with the holy urging. It took me a while, and I said, what does that mean? Think about it. To call close with the holy urging. See, there's a type of prophecy that comes out of your mouth when you're moved by love and by the Lord. And it stirs somebody's call inside. It, it puts a holy demand on the call inside of you, and it begins to surface it from deep within. It's a specific, I've learned it's a specific type of prophetic unction that comes when we're moved by the Spirit, and we begin to prophesy in love in the right timing, and then all of a sudden, somebody who we're prophesying to, the call of God that they didn't know, or they've been dormant, begins to surface and bubble up. Because how many, right now, how many don't know the call of God on their life? It's okay, just raise your hand. If you do not know what is the call of God in my life, I didn't know it for a long time. I still wrestle with it. Some had no, no. How many would say they have a firm handle on what the call of God is on their life? Guy got a couple more, and the rest of you just like, mm, whatever. <laughs> Stir it up, Jesus. Come on right now. Prophesy. <laughs> There's a holy urging that comes. When we prophesy like this, and, and so now, again, connect this back to David's tabernacle. So now, they're prophesying to the presence, to the Lord. It's creating a large environment, and what's happening, people are coming under what God is doing, and the call that is in them begins to burst forth. I was, man... We were following, I was following the Lord so hard at a, at a rehab, came out, went to Bible college and done two years. It was 2005 to two, 2007. I was, on, I was on fire, man. I was. I was going to all, everywhere I could go, telling everybody about Jesus, pray for everything, preaching sermons to the trees, to the steering wheel of my car. I mean, I was just like, you, I, you couldn't hold me back. I was gone, man. You see my dad, I was like 10 times on, on high octane. So... I didn't know anything about the prophetic. I didn't know anything about apostolic. I didn't know anything about Lou Engle or Bill Johnson or IHOP or the prayer room. And I, I just I had zero knowledge of it. All I knew was TBN on that realm. And I really didn't watch much of that. I just was in my own little world. And then God led me and Amber and my mom and dad to Nashville, Tennessee on 7707, 2007 to the call. Everything changed. And I, I thought about that. Why? Why? Because I have actually have a postcard still because God spoke so clear to me that day, and I wrote it down. And I couldn't even remember it in my spirit. He said, Michael, today is a new day for you. Today I am shifting your life, and I am placing the call for revival and awakening on your life right now. I got it written down from 2007 
What happened? I came under in an environment where 90,000 people were worshiping the Lord. I mean, it was just going, prophesying to the Lord. And the environment was so strong in the, in the Tennessee Titans stadium that when I came under the environment and under the atmosphere of what God was doing, the call of God bursted in my life. And it shifted my whole direction. Amber and I came home. We fasted for two weeks. God opened me, had me preaching in seven Baptist churches this message of repentance. And things were just breaking out and happening. I mean, it was, it was an incredible time. It was very accelerated. But the point is, there is a place. This is what this prophecy means. Isn't that good? I mean, isn't that encouraging? That when we encourage one another, do you see that? So encouragement is connected to the call. Come on. Did you ever think that? Encouraging one another is connected to seeing our calls come alive and come out. Because the call of God, and I could sit here for a long time, but the call of God is not so much I'm called to do this specific outline ministry. Uh-uh. The call of God is what nature of Christ will you reveal in the earth? What expression of the living God are you going to pull forth? And wherever he leads you, that's, that's where it will be. So it may look like a pastorate one day, but it may look like a missionary journey the next, or it may look like this one day, and it may change in another season. The call is, is, is strong. It's ever-growing. It's ever-present. But encouragement is the way that helps bring it to the surface. I, I, I feel it's a word for us tonight. We have to encourage one another, guys. We, we have to be encouraging one another. I mean, I mean, this is something the Lord's really been hitting me on. We have to encourage one another. How about a New Testament reality on that? When you think of encouragement, you think of the early church. Who do you think of? Barnabas. Barnabas. And he got Paul. Now, you remember, it's in Acts 13, Acts chapter 13. It said that Paul and Barnabas said, said that they were, while, listen to this, they were fasting and praying, the Holy Spirit said, set apart. Paul and Barnabas for me. <laughs> we get it wrong sometimes, don't we? <sighs> Set them apart for me so that they can do the work that I've called them to do. So you notice what they're doing. They're not, oh, Lord help me. They're not engaged in the busyness, are they? Now there's a time. But, but they're not engaged in the busyness. They're not running here and there and to and fro. They're not doing all this activity and careers and ministry and life. They're doing the most important thing. They're fasting and seeking God and ministering to him. Out of that place, set them apart. I have work for them. So we know Paul's destiny is in Acts when he's converted. It says, Paul, you're going to carry my name to the Gentiles. That's it. I mean, he didn't give him the whole elaborate plan. He said, you're going to carry my name to Gentiles and their kings. You're going to have to suffer, but you're going to carry my name throughout the nations of the world. He said, I'm going to give you a helpmate, Barnabas. Now, we know Barnabas, and we don't have time to go there, but, you know, his name is really not Barnabas. Come on if you know your Bible. Barnabas' name is not Barnabas. What's his first name? Anybody know? That's okay. I didn't know until today. Being honest. His name is Joseph. His real name is Joseph. But you know what's really interesting? It said, Joseph the Levite. Oh, my God. You just think about that. Joseph the Levite 
who the disciples called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Why? There's many reasons, but why did, out of all the people, did God attach Barnabas to Paul? Could it be that the expression of encouragement was to bring Saul's call out of his life so that they can fulfill the call of God on their life? God knows. Do you see that? Do you see that? So the encouragement and the encouraging one is what pulls the call out of Paul's life. Man, isn't that unbelievable? He was a Levite. So now, go back to the Old Testament reality, David's tabernacle. He has now gathered Levites and priests. Remember the scriptures, Levites were given as gifts to the priests. The priest with the priesthood, but the Levites served the priesthood. It was a gift from God in Exodus. So do you see that reality? The Levites are encouragers. That was their main job, was to encourage. My God. Woo! They were in encourage. Worship to the Lord day and night. Night and day. When they saw somebody growing weary. Whew, come on, man. Don't do it. God's on you, man. He's going to keep prophesying. Play that guitar. Don't stop. It sounds so good. And they encouraged one another. Man, why, and what happened? The call of God manifested. So isn't that awesome? So encouragement is not flattery. I think everybody's smart enough to know the difference. Encouragement is not flattery. But when encouragement is spoken through confidence, it releases an urge with inside of you. It does. And so when somebody encourages you and prophesies and really encourages to your spirit, what's happening is the call in your life is becoming activated. It becomes awakened and it becomes stirred. And people understand, okay, God, now I understand what you're telling me, right? So encourage one another. Third thing here, prophesy to comfort. The Greek word for comfort here is paramuthia. I'm going to say that again, paramuthia means to calm and console. Hmm. It means to calm and to console. This form of prophecy shows sympathy, especially when those who are suffering. It shows sympathy, especially with those who are suffering. kind of happened tonight. But let's talk about this. You've been, in, you've been in some meetings before where, I mean, you guys got a barometer, right? You can discern the presence. You know, it comes in different ways, right? You know, sometimes it's real fiery, right? Can you feel it in the atmosphere? It's just real fiery, and we're getting, we're getting like, whoo! I mean, we're just ignited with the Lord. You, you can feel it. Sometimes there's just incredible breakthrough. There's freedom. I mean, it's just it's so easy. You ever been in an environment like it's just, it's just so easy. It's so light. You ever been one that's been real hard and heavy? Mike was with me. We went to a church one time. We went up to Dunn, and uh, on the way there, my buddy was speaking at this church uh, in Roseboro, North Carolina. I don't know if anybody knows about Roseboro, North Carolina, but it is in the country. And uh, I had never been there. I didn't know what was going on, but it was a youth revival. And, you know, they're preaching all that week, and my buddy that was uh, speaking, we were going to be there. We were just hungry. We just wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. We had a night before the next day where we set up the tent and done. <laughs> Thank God we went. He, he got there. He brought his youth band up there. And, um, man, I felt so bad for the youth pastor. We, we walked in the door, and, I mean, when I mean to tell you, weren't nobody in the house. 
I mean, nobody in the house. They, they had about five people, five head. The five head that they had, Lord bless them, they were just, you know, they were just, they were just old. They were just, you know, prime timers. And they sat in the very, you know, these old rows in the old churches. And they sat in the very, I mean, they occupied the very last row. <laughs> Not only did they occupy the last row, they were in that, you know, that, that aisle, like, where the door is. And so I was like, wow. And then there's like 25 pews that are completely empty. And then my buddy and his team at the very front. And then you had the youth pastor who invited them. And I thought, oh, and it was so hard. It was, my buddy, he did good, man. He just went forward and preached the word. But I remember that environment being so hard. This is Pentecostal holiness church. And I've been in some, I've been in some, I mean, this was Pentecostal holiness. And I, I mean, I went to Catholic school. I've been in a bunch of liturgical services. And you know that they just don't worship like we do. That's fine. They, they have a, a more conservative form of worship. But it was surprising to see that type of environment in a Pentecostal holiness church in a youth revival. They lost their fire, Miss Addie. And you see what happens? The environment. And you know, you go in that environment, you feel depressed, don't you? I mean, you do. You're like, I'm going to stay here. Something ain't happening. Something wrong. <laughs> I think I'm going to be going down the road. But how I many, when you step into an environment where God is present, he's moving, something happens. So coming back to this comfort. So in the degrees of the presence that we've all known or connected with, isn't there a place of sweetness? Now, have you ever been in that place where it's just sweet? It's just sweet. It gets in there and it gets so good. And you're like, oh, man, it's like every word that comes or whatever, it just it really feels like honey. You know, a lot of times when that's happening, healing is going forth, right? Healing. I've learned that in those type of atmosphere meetings, the bride of Christ, the body, has to be so sensitive. We, we can really miss it very easily. And so prophesying like this, with this form of prophecy, this, this nature of prophecy, is, is prophesying to people that releases this soothing to the emotions, if you will, this, this comforting to their soul that they're going through hard times and they're in through a battle. It releases an environment and an atmosphere over them that just begins to settle the anger. Come on, Proverbs 15 one says, a harsh or uh, a uh, uh, soft word spoken in kindness will turn away wrath. You know, it's just that, that atmosphere, that peace that settles down. And, and, and that's, what, that's what happens when that sweet, sweet presence comes in. And I've been thinking about that more. You know, I, I think David's tabernacle, these guys, Paul and Barnabas, you know, they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I think we've lost that. I'm, I'm serious. I, I think we've lost our ability to be completely sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times, why? Is because we feel the pressure or the awkward silence in a meeting, or we feel we have to fill it in with something, or we feel the pressure that we have to do something. And, and sometimes, and it could be so good, but it could, it could literally stop what Holy Spirit wants to do in that moment if we just would have waited a little bit longer. That's a personal challenge for me because I am so wired to be fiery. <laughs> And if you're in a person here tonight and you're wired to be fiery, that's kind of hard because you have to put on the brakes. And you don't want to let your zeal go ahead of the wisdom of the Lord and the knowledge of the Lord. You want to run it together. 
So I, that's, a, that's good. That's a, that's, I feel that. I feel that's a good word for us tonight. Just encourage you. How can you be more sensitive? You know, I, I'm not. I'm not like like patty caking and you know just tolerating. You know, nothing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how can I be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that I can hear the word of the Lord at any moment. That even if the distractions are going on, I can stop them and I can hear what God is doing. I am always aware that he's around. Because if you're like me, sometimes what I'll do is I'll, car, I'll, I'll come, uh, the word's hard for me, compartmentalize, compartmentalize. I'll have a tendency to compartmentalize God because I'm in this zone <laughs> of I got to get it done, right? But sometimes God wants to be in there with us. So I've been challenged to really bring that awareness, you know, no matter where we go. So part of that that prophesying, it, 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 releases, it releases comfort. Amen? My Lord, that time goes so fast. Thank you, Lord. So when I think of, again, David's tabernacle, what is happening? Why is this connected to us? What does this mean? Guys, ladies and gentlemen, this is the prophetic promise that we have. Thank you. This is the prophetic promise that we have. That So when God says, in the last days, I'm going to rebuild the fallen tent of David, he's going to rebuild a bride who will begin to establish that type of culture of prophetic whew, environments and in, in, in places where people can come and just understand the call, can understand how to get free, and can understand where to go. My goodness. So I, I believe that's so encouraging. So that's part of the infrastructure. That was happening in Israel's day. All of those things were going on. You know, again, 4,000, I mean, just picture it, 4,288 musicians gathered around the ark day and night, night and day. Could you imagine the shouts at night? What, what if a wave came in? Hey, you ever been in a meeting when a wave came in? What, what if a wave came in at midnight? Ooh, could you hear the shouts? And could you hear the joy or the tears or the cries? I mean, could you imagine being in that, in that environment where God was enthroned and he was central? So that's, a, that's a remarkable, remarkable to think about. And, and one more few things in that verse. First Chronicles 25, verse 6. Now look what he said. He says, so all the men were under the supervision of the fathers for the music of the Lord with cymbals, lyres, and harps for the ministry at the house of God. Asaph, Jadothan, and Heman were among the supervision of the king along with their relatives. And all of them were trained. Now, these were like not just, you know, anybody. These guys were trained and skilled musicians in music for the Lord, and they numbered 288. Here's another balance I see prophetically today, what God's doing in the rebuilding of David's tabernacle. I think, he's, I think part of it, too, is he's really trying to introduce an infrastructure where there is some order, there is some guidelines, there is some, some flow to it. There's, there's, some, there's some people that are taking leading roles in order to build what God wants to do. On the other side of that is we have to leave him room to move. 
because we can get to the other side too much and we're so focused on the infrastructure, we're so focused on the program or the, the actual building of it that we, that we forget to leave God room to move. And you know He needs room to move. He needs room to move. So I believe that there really is this amazing balance in the rebuilding of that. And, and what does that look like? Here, look at this. The young and the old alike. Now, come on, y'all. Been saying it, huh? The young and the old has to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Every tribe, tongue, and nation, every generation has their place. The prime timers have their place. And the young folk with skinny jeans have their place. The teacher as well as the student. Look at that. You know what that tells me? No one is above the other. Woo. No one is above the other. They're equal. Now, they have different roles, of course, but no one is above the other. That's amazing to me. So I wanted to kind of hit on that. This is, we're talking, what are we talking about? We're talking about the ministry of the singers and the musicians around the tabernacle. For our remaining time, and then I want to take any maybe even questions or any comments people have, I wanted to hit this one last thing. And it was the ministry of the scribe. See, another thing that David did is not only did he gather singers and musicians, but he gathered scribes. How many know what scribes are, the scribe? Anybody? Who wants to take a stab at that? What's a scribe in the, in the Old Testament? A teacher? Somebody who, who wrote? Who wrote and recorded? Come on, took notes. So let's talk about that. Look at it. First Chronicles 24, verse 6. We see evidence of this. In verse 6, it says, The scribe Shemaiah, son of Nathal, a Levite, recorded the names in the presence of the king and the officials. The scribe Shemaiah. Another, and we, we don't have time to go there, but another famous scribe, probably one of my, one of my favorites, is, is uh, Baruch. I think it's Baruch. Baruch is from Jeremiah in 45, verse 1. Remember the prophet Jeremiah? God gave him a man named Baruch. And Baruch was the scribe to Jeremiah. I, I want to talk about this real quick just for a few minutes that we got. There is an increase right now of the scribe anointing. God is increasing, and I've seen it in the last five years, there is an increase on the scribe anointing. So I want to just unpack that a little bit. So let's go back to what scribes are. So let's take Baruch and Jeremiah's example. So if you remember, Jeremiah, that was a bad day. Babylon's coming. They're all going they're going to Babylon, the remaining slaves, and, and Jeremiah is basically saying, look, bros, you have to submit to Babylon to live. If you don't, you're going to die. That's the word of the Lord. So Baruch is now writing this all down. But what happens? What's important about Baruch's ability to be a scribe? His letter goes into the hands of a slave named Daniel. Daniel is carted off to Babylon where he sits for 70 years. Now, in that letter, there was a bunch of gloom and doom. There was. But there was also some good stuff. There was hope for a future. Come on, you know the promise, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm going to give you, I got good plans for you, a hope for a future. I'm going to bring you back to the land after 70, day, after 70 years of captivity. I'm going to restore the land. I'm going to restore the promises. So there's a lot of hope in those writings. There's a lot of, there's a lot of encouragement in those writings. So Daniel took this and Daniel was a slave, my God, and God favored him in Babylon. And he rose through all those kingdoms. And it said that he prayed three times a day out of a window. 
But you know what else Daniel did beside prayer? He read Jeremiah's letter. And the words of Baruch fueled his intercession. They fueled his intercession. And so what did Daniel do? For 70 years on his knees, he built a culture of the presence of heaven that overrode the presence of Babylon, shifted the government, changed the laws, come on, and rewrote policies. Babylon. Yeah, even Nebuchadnezzar got saved out of the deal. Whew. The power of a scribe. That's what God did. He breathed on Baruch, a scribe anointing. I believe there's an angel around that man to help him give him revelation and insight on the words he had to release to Daniel. So this is the awesome thing about the scribe anointing. David gathered scribes around the singers and the musicians. Here's a quote. I love this quote. It's an unknown quote, but I've heard it many times. I don't care who writes your laws. But whoever writes your music, they will be the ones who shape your destiny. So that doesn't sound right. Then look at the Beatles in the 60s. They shaped a generation. Not the laws of the day, did they? It's very important. So David understood that reality, gathered scribes around the musicians. Now, why is he gathering scribes around the musicians? Because as we're talking about, here's this culture of prophecy. Here's this environment where the freedom is coming, creativity is coming, and sounds are being uttering, instrumental sounds, frequencies. I mean, all kinds of things are happening around this ark. But now the scribes, what is their job? It's to transcribe. Come on, man. It's to, it's, to, it's to translate in the spiritual realm without words into words so that they could give context to what God is doing. So that they can create a framework for the rest of the nation to join in. They put words to revelation. My God. Who journals in here? Does anybody journal? Oh my Lord, you have to journal. They're, 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 I'm serious. I just thought, man, when I first started journaling, I was in that rehab center. I was like, that's for girls' journal. That's what I thought. I was like, who journals? And God got a hold of me, man. And as I began to journal my hearing of the Lord, my revelation, my dreams, words and promises, poems, everything began to flow. And I begin to understand, wow, there's power in these words that are coming from an unseen reality. Because I'm worshiping the Lord and I'm surrendering to him in that place. So the scribes had an ability, my goodness, to translate the environment so that everybody else can come on board. I believe God is raising up scribes. Why do you think this generation, the millennial generation, is so like in this renaissance? Right? They're creatives. They love social media. They love to write. There's so many of them that have a way with words. I mean, this is, this is an ability to take words, not just in a journal, but to put rhymes to them, to put them in hip-hop structures, to put them in whatever type of structure in order to touch and connect with people. It's an ability to do that. The, 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 the words, you know, not even just words, video. Look at video. Look at what video has done in the body of Christ. I mean, it's really good. Real quick, let me tell you something. I'm just, woo, run a rabbit. This social media thing and technology. I know a lot of times, my dad, dad, if you're watching, there you are. I know he, my dad thinks the computer's the devil. 
He'll tell you. He'll tell you just real quick. He's just old school. And um, that's, just, that's the general rule of thought. So, however, technology, though it could be used for evil, I think we all agree, it could also be used for good. Let me give you a biblical example of that. In King Saul day in the Philistines and in, in the wars with Israel, you know, King Saul never took care of the weaponry. He, he, didn't, he didn't take care of the weaponry. And in 1 Samuel it says, there was no blacksmiths found in Israel. Blacksmiths were manufacturers. But because Saul didn't value manufacturing in the kingdom, he didn't value the production of weapons. When they went to war, they didn't have weapons to fight the Philistines with. So you know what they did? They had to go to the Philistines, buy their weapons off of them, pay them to take their own weapons to turn around and fight them. That's just foolishness. And that just, that's just foolish. But we do the same thing. We do the same thing. But when David stepped on the scene, oh, you know what he did? Israel became the mightiest nation. He gathered the army, and he provided the best weapons of the day. And blacksmiths were everywhere. We have to be able to leverage the technology for the kingdom. We have to leverage it for the kingdom. That scribe anointing, I believe, falls under that. It's a, it's a creativity expression of the Holy Spirit that may move on you to create something that's not been created yet. And I just feel the Lord is stirring that. He's, he's raising that. Side rabbit. Okay. Functions of the scribes. They assisted the singers and musicians. Number one, we, we talked about that. Number two, oh, Lord, help me. They recorded genealogy. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Jesus. They recorded genealogy. Who knows what genealogy is? Oh, here we go. A few. Has anybody done their genealogy? Partial, couple? I would encourage you to do your genealogy. Listen, take, take the advice, leverage the technology of the day, and sh- start digging up your ancestors and your roots. It's very vital, very important, and it releases so many things. Why, why did they do that in Chronicles? You ever read Chronicles? I mean, it's just a... Compilation of names, Matthew, compilation of names, the genealogy of Jesus. That's important because the, one of the primary things it does is it establishes identity. It establishes identity. Do you know that there's something in our DNA, the, mone- the molecular DNA that passes down to our relatives? I mean, the, the, in our bloodline? Real quick example. My dad, my dad, he loves to fry fish. I mean, he's a fish fryer. And so I grew up with my dad going fishing. We, he actually have a commercial license. My 10th grade job was helping him fish on the New River, catching fried shrimp, flounder nets, gigging, everything you can imagine. So I grew up with dad cooking seafood all the time. And at our family reunions and our get-togethers, it was always known that dad was going to fry the shrimp. He's going to clean the crabs. He's going to fry the oysters. Somebody get the cocktail sauce ready and the tartar sauce. I'm getting hungry now. Whew. And that's just how it was. Well, we went to uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia, did my family genealogy, found out that my 10th my great-grandfather was a guy named William Thornton. He was the first Thornton to America. He lived in Virginia, where Fredericksburg is today. They're very wealthy. They even had a mansion called the Thornton Hill Mansion, still standing today. We've been there. We actually went and toured it. The guy that lives there privately, actually, I told him I was a Thornton Disney. He's like, oh, come on in. They gave us a whole tour. Started telling us, listen, your relative had another descendant named Francis Thornton, which would have been like ninth great-grandfather. 
He goes, you know, Francis Thornton, would, you'd go down on the Rappahannock River down there in Fredericksburg, and he was known for throwing these parties for the whole city. He said, you know, he owned 8,000 acres. He owned 8,000 acres. So not only that, he said, do you know that the Washington family married into your family? I was like, what? I started Googling it. We found the state marker. The, the George Washington family married into our Thornton family. I thought, oh, my goodness. I told Dad, I said, look, we need to tell this guy, look, uh, cousin, uh, your cousin's here from North Carolina. <laughs> I, I think down there somewhere we in the wheel. We just got looked over. <laughs> oh, I almost did. I was so tempted. Yes. So we go down to the river. He's like, go down the river. There's a museum kind of pictures. So we go down to the river, and they have this old rock with this bowl hewn out. And it actually has a monument, a, a billboard that says, Francis Thornton would gather the town and throw fish fry parties for the entire town. My, my, his, my William Great Thornton, William Thornton, his father, the first one, guess what he did for occupation? He worked for the church, the Anglican church in Virginia. He oversaw the orphan, the widow, and the poor in a house of mercy ministry. Is that the truth? I'm serious. I mean, I'm talking 1630s, like literally before the 13 colonies, 1600s. What do you say? You got to know your genealogy because that stuff funnels down. And even through the spiritual and we're reborn again and all. But there's still qualities. There's still stuff in your DNA that is carried over. Why did David align them by their fathers and their family bloodlines? Because there was a collective synergy, my God, in the inheritance of their forefathers. So that when they were positioned to praise the Lord around the ark, it enhanced, I believe, it enhanced the presence. My goodness. My Lord. So they recorded genealogy. Four more minutes. We're almost done. I got four minutes. I'm going to take them. Everybody good? They recorded the oral history into the scroll books. Okay. So far is the Hebrew word for scribe. They were people who knew how to write. In biblical times, they were intelligent people. If you got the scribe anointing, you're pretty smart now. <laughs> they were intelligent people, and they only knew the art of writing, and the office of scribe was for a government office. Now, today, the scribe anointing provides a few things. This is what I feel today. What does this mean? So in the rebuilding of David's tabernacle in our day, I believe there's a restoration on this thing. That is to, to reveal prophetic insight and revelation through words, through songs, through poems, through spoken words. I mean, we're seeing it. We're seeing that emerge. There, there's an anointing that's coming for that. It's already here. There's hope for the future. Number two, there's hope. That scribe anointing, when it begins to operate and flow, it, it begins to build hope for the future, just like Baruch did for Daniel. The third thing it does is it honors the past. One of my favorites. Because someone once said, those who, those who honor their history make history. Those who honor their history will end up making history. Strategic information. It provides strategic information regarding spiritual warfare. 
and it releases and builds both personal and national identity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this story here. So the rebuilding of David's tent points to a restoration of the singer and the scribe. And it points to those, listen now, if you don't hear anything else about this, who carry the sound and who carry the message. Who carry the sound and who carry the message. I believe for a long time those two have been pretty much divided compared to what God wants to do. I, uh, many of you know, right, I, I read and studied about G.B. Cashwell, the old revivalist from Azusa Street that brought it back to North Carolina. I have a good friend of mine who, uh, he's a curator up in Mount Olive College. He works for the archive department. And he knew my, he helped me out on the research. He knew how much I loved Cashwell, the revival story, the Azusa East. So he called me up one day. He said, Mike, I've come into a couple of books in my possession that were one of the Cashwell descendants that just recently died. And, uh, and he could have kept them in his library because he collects these things. He said, but I feel like you're supposed to have them. I was like, whoa. So we went up, we met him, and I got him. One of them, and folks, they don't make them like this anymore. But this is the Holy Bible complete and how to understand it. <laughs> how, how about that? This is a Bible from 1886. 1886. But why is it significant? Because it's set in G.B. Cashwell's home. The guy who brought Azusa East to the East Coast and the South. It says right there, David Cashwell, his son, owned it in December of 1919. And this is a book that's not just the word, but it's just this in-depth study of topics and themes along with the word. It is very old. It is very rare. It's one of my favorite, favorite things. He gave me another book. And it was this book, which also said at the Cashwell home. Now, remember, Cashwell, this guy's a revivalist. His family. Guess what the book is called? Young People's History of Music. So when I got home, you know, this is an accident. This is the Lord. I say, God, what are, you, what are you doing with these two books? Why did you give me these two books? What, what is the purpose of that? And the Lord said, Michael, I, I am rebuilding David's tabernacle. And for, for a time, I've been rebuilding the sound. Listen to me. The young people's history of music. It's all about the sound being released through music, through young people today. We're seeing that. Just like in the video, I, we're seeing that. God has literally put his hand on a young generation, <coughs> excuse me, to prophesy with their instruments, no-name people that bring in the presence in the kingdom of God like no other. And we've been seeing that for the last decade or so. That's what we, he said, I put my hand on that. I am breathing on that. And it's going to continue to build. I believe it's going to get stronger. I believe the sounds of heaven are going to get, get more intensified. I believe young people are going to actually hear psalms from heaven. Psalms from heaven that will be released in this, this hour that will release salvation, that will release healing and deliverance, that will turn the tide in schools, that will turn the tide in the education all these things. Come on, y'all. We, we, we've done the tent so many times. This has been the whole heart behind the Jesus tent. We, we, we set to labor to build day and night prayer, worship and intercession in the ghetto, in, in the city, 
to see a place in an environment overran by the presence of God by platforming young people who nobody knows, who just have the heart to worship the Lord without anything to be noticed or recognized or seen or money. They don't care about that. They just wanted to worship Jesus. I got one last one. Listen, I had it on. I forgot to bring it. But one of the most powerful encounters was at Wilmington when we had the tent up. When we had the tent up in Wilmington, I got the daggone Facebook video to show you. But there was a post made by a, a, a guy who said, what is going down to that tent near Legion Stadium? He said, them people are stupid and foolish. He said, you know what? I got him. This was post. He said, I got in my car to go down and make fun of those people for what they were doing, dancing and laughing and praying. He said, he said but, but when I got to the edge of the tent, he said, I began to weep. He said, I wept because I saw black and white, young and old, rich and homeless, hugging one another, eating food together, and a ragtag worship team of young kids doing worship with nobody leading. He said, I'm changed. That's what he put in the post posted that. I've never met him. I don't know who he is, but I got it. Record. But what are you saying? Listen, we've seen this happen. It's happening today. It's happening. And I've been on this kick like, oh, Lord. You know, because sometimes in the preaching, man, they can get a little, whoo. You, you start throwing people up there and they're not right. Man, they can go left, right, every which way. Next thing you know, you got drama and trouble. You got people trying to build a church, take an offering. You got, you, you got all that stuff. And you're like, Jesus, Lord, we want the pure presence of God. But you know what the Lord has been speaking to me, y'all, here lately? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. He said, listen, we're coming into a new day. He said, and I'm about to release the message. He said, I'm going to release the words. Listen to me. When the old revivalists out of Azusa and the 1800 Holiness Revival and the Wesleys of the Great Awakenings and the Moravians, they didn't have worship like this. But they had something breathing on the message. And so when they opened the word and they opened the well of who they were inside and the scribe anointing, the words came out. Heaven would break out just like it would when we would go in the tent. Same environment would happen. Same environment. The Lord said, I'm about to merge the message with the sound. Woo! The message with the sound. I'm going to merge the message with the sound. So I just want to encourage you here tonight. When we're talking about this rebuilding David's tabernacle, not only is it a restoration of day and night worship, but it's going to be a restoration of the word of God, the messages of God that are going to have so much power on them. There's going to have so much conviction on them that it's going to literally shift and change environments and regions and nations. And it's going to come together. I, I, it's like prophetic preaching. Preachers of the old order, they're going to come out of nowhere. I'm just, I'm probably just feeling, they're going to come out of nowhere. They're going to come. No one's going to know their name. They're not going to know where they came from. It's like they came out of grave. They're going to open their mouth, and people are going to fall all over. It's going to go like that right there. This right here won't be a problem. Can't even get it off. And they're going to throw that watch away. Because they're going to step into a time and a place of heaven 
where the call of God is coming, where all these things is prophesying and coming forth that has been restricted and held down. I'm telling you guys, everything in me, the Lord said, I'm about to raise up messengers and circuit riders and preachers of young people and all over that are just going to release the word of heaven. Stand with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I, I, just hold your hands out right now. Just hold your hands out right now. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, Lord, I know what you're speaking here tonight is truth and it's real. And so, Lord, I ask right now, Father, would you begin to release the anointing of the scribe? Would you begin to release the anointing of the scribe? Would you begin to stir words and creativity here tonight? Would you begin to give golden pins out? Would you begin to release words that have never been spoken, that have weight on them, God? I ask, Lord, release that scribe anointing tonight. Some in here tonight are the messengers, God. Raise up the messengers, Lord. Raise up the circuit riders of our generation. Raise up the preachers of the day of our generation, God. Raise up the messengers, God, that are not going to be tainted with a gospel without power. That they're not going to be tainted for money. To do it for money or for fame. That they're not going to be tainted, God. Raise up David's tabernacle in our day. That the whole kind of mankind would seek your face, Lord. Raise it up, God. We ask, would you raise it up in Wilmington? Would you raise it up in North Carolina? Lord, would you spread your tent all over the south? And Lord, release a wave of your presence and a wave of your Holy Spirit like we have never seen before. God, we are asking for revival and awakening, not just within us, but in our city and our government and our region. Lord, even though it tarries, we will still stay steadfast. Derek Prince prophesied, one day there is a personal visitation coming to eastern North Carolina. Kings from the north, south, east, and west will study the phenomena. Lord, we're reminding you of the prophecy. We're reminding you of the word tonight, God. And we thank you that it's being done. We thank you that you're raising up right now messengers of fire, worshipers of your presence, Lord. Oh, what happens when the sound and the message begin to run together? What happens when there's no divorce between the Levite and the priest? What happens when there's no divorce between the senior pastor and the worship director? What happens when there's no jealousy or animosity, God? Oh, God, we, we, we ask for that restoration. Lord, restore the priest and the Levite. Restore the preacher and the musician. God, restore them, Lord. Back to their rightful place, God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father. Whew. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. That was awesome. Hey. That was really awesome. So I want to put, I want to put a stretch on for tonight. Friday night, we are doing a time of burn. I'd like you to get your journal and get your word, and you get here Friday night, and you hear the word of the Lord, and you write. You can't just hear a message like this and say, oh, that was great. No, it, it's got to have some legs on it. I want to, you know, we're doing a lot by, more by accident than we are on purpose. Oh, this scripture just fired up for me and the Lord downloaded. And in, in, we read it tonight, First Chronicles 25, verse 6. Listen to this. 
These were the ones, the duties of the musicians. All these men were under the directions of their fathers. Right, so this was a family. These musicians were, they were fathers that were leading this thing. Then it goes on, their responsibility included the harps, the sounds, the music, and then it listed the men. Directly, they reported to the king. Seven months ago, last night at our board meeting, the board guy said, what has been going on with your worship? It is like, oh. Seven months, this is by this grand experiment. I've been in 12 different churches. I've been here 20 years. But seven months ago, we said, you know what? We're going to have the worship leaders report directly to the pastors, Pastor Mike, myself, and Pastor Willie. And we're going to, we don't know how to play an instrument. We sing terrible, but we love the Lord, and we're going to release them to go about doing their worship and let the Holy Spirit. And I had our worship leader said, I've never had a pastor say, you go for it. We'll back you up. That's what's been happening. Now, look what else is going on. By, by <laughs> they and their families were all trained to make music, accomplish together. These musicians were appointed in their term of service, but they reported directly to the king. And it didn't matter whether they were young, old, teacher, or student. They were selected by sacred lot. That's another word in the Old Testament for Holy Spirit picked them. Why do we have all the people, your children up there, it looks chaotic, and what do they do? Why do you let... Because those children are here worshiping better than many of the older folks sitting out there in the back pew wondering about what's going on. So there's something about worship that God is opening a door for us. We're at a moment in time. It's a Kairos moment. If you will help us engage to get in worship, stop talking during worship and engage in worship. Put your phone away and get in worship. Okay? Come on. I'm not trying to be controlling, but there's something about those moments that will intersect. And God, will he will heal. He'll bring revelation. He'll bring evangelism. He will do it in those moments. I've been in a few moments in my life in places in the earth when God intersected those points. And we long for the. We're just trying to set a stage. So we have heard the word tonight. It's an engagement. It's a request. So Friday night, come. Let's worship. Amen. Lord, I pray for what you're doing. Lord, we, we don't know what we're doing, but we are in pursuit of you. And we know what we desire is to see you come and change the lives, change families, break off addictions and brokenness and failures and fears. And God, so that there's a people group that comes together. We're at close to the striking of the doomsday clock. We're close. And God wants us to be in a preparation of preparedness. So, God, we thank you. Worship will do it. So, Lord, we pray now for revelation, dreams. We had a dream revealed, two of them this morning, that was about, I think, Revelation 4, about the shiny sea. See, the sign, the, 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 I can't even say it. The sea that was so shiny, the glass that was in that Revelation throne room. And Karina had a dream this morning, revealed it, about where Global River is right now. They were in that place where there was a heart surgery need, and it was so close, but there was a, an angel that was sent on an assignment, and it looked on this glassy sea. But the angel had a vacuum cleaner never seen before and was vacuuming up all the places that needed to be cleansed. Defilements were in that place. I believe that's a word for the church this morning that was saying, I'm, I'm preparing you, but you're going to have to go there. Who's going to have the clean hands and the pure heart that will enter this place with me? So, God, I pray, I, I don't know how to get there, Lord, but I know we're in pursuit of you. So come, Holy Spirit, and do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.